I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you are sitting at a red light, waiting for the light to turn green, and you are second in line behind a car in front of you. The light turns green, but the car in front of you doesn't move. Now, this doesn't surprise you because not everybody is wired like you're wired and they're not poised to move at the crack of the green light like a NASCAR driver, right? Not everybody is that way. Most drivers, it takes about three to five seconds for the green light to enter their mind, their thinking, and then make it to their foot so that they press the gas pedal. About three to five seconds. But now you've been waiting seven seconds because you've been counting and still no movement. What are they doing up there? Do you ever ask that question? What in the world are they looking at? It, this is my phrase. It can't get any greener, right? I always say that. My kids know. Are they looking at their phone? Are they even paying attention? Now, you don't want to be rude, but now it's been 10 seconds and still no moving. So you just tap, not push, not press, not depress. Just, just tap your horn. Beep. They didn't get it. Let's go again. Beep. Right? And still no movement. And then, of all things, the driver puts up his hand with a hand gesture, but it's not the typical hand gesture that you might get, right? He puts up his flat hand to tell you to stop. And you're like, what is that? Move. What are you doing? It's green, right? You ever do that? Do you ever talk to your windshield? Am I the only one that does that? Man, I need help then, right? I mean, right? We, we, we talk to that driver that we can't really see, but we're, we're talking through their rearview mirror because we can see their eyes in their rearview mirror. And we're talking, why don't you move? And he, he just puts up his hand. And then he rolls his window down and he sticks his hand out and then he does this. I'm like, this happened to me really. Okay, so just so you know. And I'm like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? This is a full 12 seconds now that I have been waiting and you haven't moved because the, the light is green. And then in the pause of the moment, I see a car flying through the intersection running the red light the other way. And I realized that if we had went when the light turned green, we both probably would have been hit by this car. And a thought crosses my mind that I don't like to admit, but the thought crosses my mind that the driver in front of me was actually paying more attention than I was. The driver in front of me actually knew what he was doing. See, on many occasions... I've asked God, do you know what you're doing? You haven't done anything yet. Come on, God, you haven't moved anywhere. Nothing has changed. Are you even paying attention? I've wondered, what's going on with God? Anybody else like me in that? Only to realize all along that... <laughs> God knew what he was doing. I mean, he, you know, God was protecting me and I didn't know it. He was guiding me and I didn't know it. He was working things out in my life and, and, and I didn't know it. I was just worried about 
getting moving. This is what God tells the people of Israel, and I think this is probably what God wants to tell us today. Jeremiah 29, 11, out of the message says this, I know, read it with me, I know what I'm doing. I, I think right there, we could just let that settle in and go home. If, if we could get that right there from God today and hear him speak that to us today, it could change our life. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. See, 99% of the time, I don't understand what God is doing. Anybody else like me in that? I, I wonder, I think, I question, I second guess, I doubt, I get angry, I get frustrated, I get irritated, I'm impatient. Until... I have an opportunity to look back and see that God has been doing something all along. You ever have those moments where all of a sudden life just kind of stops and you're like, oh wait, I actually wouldn't be here if God hadn't have done that. Oh, wait, I wouldn't have a job if God hadn't have worked out those details. Oh, wait, I wouldn't know anything about where I'm going in life if God hadn't have been working behind the scenes in my life all of this time. Something I gotta constantly remind myself to do is to look back in those, in those challenging times, in those tough situations, I need to come to the point, the place of believing that God knows what's going on, that God has a plan. And so often, I don't know about you, but so often I have a tendency <laughs> to miss that. It's not easy to have that in your view, right? I mean, it, mainly because we don't see it. I don't see it. I don't always see that God is doing something. Most of what God does in my life is behind the scenes. And so I miss it. And, and because I don't see it, I assume that nothing is happening, that nothing is changing, that nothing is moving forward, that nothing is progressing, that the process isn't working. When all along God knows and God has a plan. So many narratives in the Bible talk about this. I mean, so many stories of people's lives, you can, you can see it. One of the best, I think, in the, in the Old Testament is the life of Joseph. If you ever want to read the life of Joseph, it's Genesis 37 through chapter 45. And, and basically, it's, it's God working his plan out in Joseph's Life. And so what I thought it would be cool for us to, to kind of do together is, is to chart this. And that's why I've got the whiteboard up here, is I just kind of want us to chart. So I want us to start thinking, if you know anything about Joseph. Um, whoops, if I can make an S there, that'd be great, right? So, so let's just imagine that this is Joseph's life. And how does he start out? Somebody help me out. How does, how does he start out? Anybody know? How does Joseph start out? Now, this isn't Joseph and Mary, the, you know, the father of Jesus. This is Joseph in the Old Testament. How does Joseph start out? Let me, help me out. Son of Jacob, and he was a favored son, wasn't he? So, so he was the favorite child, okay? 
It's, it's funny that Brooke always signs that in every card that she sends out to our family. She always signs, she doesn't sign her name, she signs your favorite granddaughter or your favorite child. She always, she always does that. She, she thinks she is. But anyway, um, favorite child. Joseph was a favorite child. If you know the story, help me out. You know the story. Joseph got a gift from his dad because he was the favorite child. What was it? A coat of many colors. Yeah, you, you might know this. Joseph and the Technicolored Coat, right? That's like, like the Broadway production, right? Okay, so, so favorite child. But then what happens is he grows up in a very dysfunctional family. And I'm just going to write dysfunctional, okay? And we know that to be true. He, he grows up in a family that uh, has some brothers that do not like him. In fact, you could stretch it a little bit and say that they hate him, correct? Right. And so what do they do? They sell him into what? Into slavery. So slavery hits the picture here in Joseph's life. And he's sold to this group of slave traders that take him to a specific area. Anybody know where he is taken to? Egypt, right? So he is sold as a slave to Egypt. So now he's in Egypt as a slave, and of all things, the person that buys him is a guy that's involved in Pharaoh's army. In fact, he is the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And his name is Potiphar. You may not remember that, so I'm just going to write it down. Potiphar gets a hold of Joseph, and Joseph becomes his slave, and he's working um, in his household, and he does a great job, and Potiphar turns everything over to Joseph. But unfortunately, his wife, Potiphar's wife, accuses Joseph, uh, an innocent man, of something he didn't do, and guess what? He ends up in where? Jail or prison, right? And this isn't just prison, prison. This is like the prison underneath the prison. This is not a good place. He ends up in the bottom of the prison. And he's there for a total of like two years, I think, think the scripture tells us. And so in prison, though, there's a couple of guys that are there, just like he, and um, they express that they had these dreams. And so he interprets these dreams, and long story short, he gets one, one um, in a positive note right, and then one on a negative note, he gets that one right too. But the guy that's, that's released from prison, he actually tells Pharaoh, when Pharaoh has a dream, I know a guy. You know, have you heard that before? I know a guy, right? I know a guy who can interpret your dream. Really, bring him to me. So they bring him, Joseph, to Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And so he goes before Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh exactly what's going to take place for the next several years. That there's going to be huge amount of, of prosperity in the land. The crops will, will produce bountifully. But then there's going to be a famine. And so what we need to do is we need to take the, the bounty years and save up enough so that our nation doesn't starve to death. In fact, we should save up enough so that we can help other nations and other people groups all around our area. And so Pharaoh likes the idea so much that he puts Joseph as second in command in the whole nation of Egypt. Now what's interesting is we're going to see in just a minute what was the goal, what was the plan that God had for Joseph's life. Take a look with me, Genesis 45. What's taking place here 
is the famine has hit the land, just like he said, hit the land hard, and all the outskirt lands are experiencing famine and starving to death, and people are coming to Egypt to get food, and the guy who that is distributing the food that they have saved up is none other than Joseph, second in command, governor of Egypt. And wouldn't you know it, that the brothers of Joseph, the family of Joseph, is starving, and they come to get food, not knowing that this brother that they sold into slavery is now second in command, the guy who's responsible to give out the food. We pick up the story, chapter, one, uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Let's just stop and think about that for a moment. You, you come into the throne room of Pharaoh... And you're dealing with the second in command of the nation of Egypt, the world's most powerful nation at that time. And this guy tells you, hey guys, remember me? I'm the guy, the brother, that you didn't like. In fact, you hated me so much that you threw me in a pit and then sold me into slavery. I'm that guy. says, I am Joseph, but his brothers were, what's the word? <laughs> Speechless, yeah. Would your mouth drop to the floor at that moment when he just told you that? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. And look at what he does. Please come closer. So they came closer and he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Notice this right here. It was God who sent me here. Wow. Keep reading. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of Egypt. Joseph realizes God's plan for his life. You know what it was? To be second in command of Egypt. This was the plan right here. And notice how many steps were taken to get Joseph there. Would he have got there any other way? Possibly. But keep in mind, he was a Hebrew. He was not a favored person of Egypt. They were disliked. This, this was a guy that God took from nothing, nowhere, a nobody. And through a series of events, made him second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. But don't miss the steps. In fact, uh, don't miss this one, slavery. How would you like to be sold into slavery? Would you ever think that being sold into slavery was God's plan for your life? Some of you may think your job is slavery, but it's not quite the same, okay? That being sold into slavery. Can, can you imagine your family betraying you like that? And then it gets worse. Can you imagine after being sold into slavery and becoming a slave that now you're thrown into prison 
Would you ever dream in a million years that prison was a part of God's plan for your life? Hmm. Joseph realized that God knew what he was doing. Can you see it? It's amazing, isn't it? And we only know it because we look back on it. We have the opportunity through Scripture to study this story. So let's take a look at a New Testament example, okay? Let's take a look at the Apostle Paul. So just write Joseph somewhere on your outline while I'm erasing this, and then you can write Paul on your outline, because I want you to remember these two names. The starting point for the Apostle Paul is an interesting one as well. I'm going to go ahead and give you the name Paul up here, okay? Hopefully it'll write. There it is. But on this one, I want us to kind of skip ahead and think about what did God want to do? What was God's plan for the Apostle Paul? Now, we may have some ideas, but I'm going to lean in on one particular. But I just want to throw that out to you. What do you think God's plan was for the Apostle Paul? How did God want to use Paul? Help me out. Okay, spread the gospel to the Gentiles, right. Okay, that's close, because that's the big picture of it. But how more specifically did God want to use Paul? Okay, he was an apostle, he was sent, yeah. Kind of, same kind of thing, yeah. Even more specific than that, what did Paul do? Okay, well that was, that was before, yeah, we're going to get to that. Myra? Okay, he planted churches. He started, really, the church, really, right? Okay. Spread the message of Jesus, okay? How did he do that, Bill? Okay. Okay, so let's, let's fast forward like 2,000 years. How does Paul spread the message of Jesus and the gospel to us today? Wait, what? He has letters. Yeah, Tony got it. I believe, yes, God wanted Paul to be a communicator of the gospel. Okay, I'm just going to put that down. But specifically, I believe that God wanted to use the Apostle Paul to write almost half of the New Testament. So his letters became part of the New Testament. And you're going to see how this kind of works together here as we walk through Paul. So let's start out. The starting point of Paul, Tony already helped us with this. He was a persecutor, but let's even go before that. Who was Paul? Okay, he was Saul, but what was he? In their, yeah, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. So he was the most religious that you can get in that day. So I want you to think of the most religious person that now is not just religious. They are anti-Christian. They are anti-Jesus. This was, this was Saul who became Paul. This was his story. He, he was persecuting the church. He was running after anyone that had any ties to following Jesus. Um, Philippians 2, or 3 rather, outlines his pedigree as a Jew. He, they call him the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews. The, the dude had a pedigree beyond anyone else. Uh, Acts 22 tells us that his education of, as a Pharisee would include, in our day, several degrees, PhDs in theology. This is how educated he was. This guy knew his stuff, and he knew how to use it. 
But on Acts, in Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to write this as a step, he had an experience on a road. Anybody know what the name of that road was or the road to Damascus? Yeah, Acts chapter 9 talks about this. And he was, there, he was going there to persecute, to imprison Christians, followers of Jesus. But in this experience, what happened to Saul of Tarsus? He encountered Jesus really for the first time. And many people believe it was face-to-face. So I'm just going to put JC. If anybody know what that means, that's Jesus Christ, right? It's just short end. So he encounters Jesus. He becomes a follower of Jesus on this road in Acts chapter 9. Okay, everybody following this so far? Then he begins planting churches. I'm kind of fast-forwarding the story, but he plants all of these churches all over the Mediterranean rim, um, really all over the known world. If you ever want to be fascinated by what Paul did, just Google it. It's, it's amazing how many places Paul really went and took the message of Jesus to these places. But specifically because he planted churches and because he was an apostle, and apostles are not pastors, so they don't stay at their churches. They plant and move on. He was a church planter. He planted the church, equipped some leaders, put them in charge, and said, bye, see you later. And in that day, he couldn't catch a Southwest flight to go visit the people in these churches, right? It was a difficult time, a difficult way to travel in that era. And so really, they were leaning on letters to communicate. And so Paul begins to write letters, guess what, to these churches, I mean, he's just doing it kind of out of his pastoral heart. He wants to see these churches and these church leaders succeed, and so he starts writing these letters. Do you think Paul had any idea that his letters would be canonized into the New Testament at some point? No. I mean, I'm sure he was thinking, I hope that they save these, right? I hope that they mean something to the people that I'm writing, because I went to a lot of effort to write these. If you ever read the, the letter to the church in Rome, the book of Romans in your Bible, that took a lot of effort to write that letter. And so I, I believe that he thought it was authoritative, but I'm sure, and he never mentions, I went through scripture, he never mentions the fact, I'm sure he didn't know that they would end up in the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament are ascribed to the Apostle Paul, his writing. Almost half. Where would we be without Paul's letters? Last night I was just kind of throwing, throwing around scriptures in my head. I was thinking about, I asked myself that question, where would we be without Paul's writings? We wouldn't have scriptures like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anybody ever have that on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or some pillow or something? Right? And they have, you know, they, they even they make these gym shirts. I've seen it at the gym all the time. I, I've seen, you know, they don't even have the scripture verse. It just says, I can do all things. And I'm like, you probably don't even know what that's from, man. That's the Apostle Paul that wrote that. You are proving my faith right there. You're wearing it to the gym, right? Okay? I can do all things through Christ. Um, uh, uh, another one would be rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, you got it, Candy. I mean, that's a scripture that we've all heard, we've all seen. You know, another one is God can do much, much more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's Ephesians 3.20. I mean, there's so many passages of scripture that the Apostle Paul has given us 
that we would miss out if his letters weren't there. Big chunk of the New Testament. Hmm. Paul tells us in Romans 15, 4, things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And, you know, the last several weeks, the life of Moses, we have learned this. Um, I'll be honest with you, this was supposed to be our last series, our last study, rather, in this series. And um, coming in this morning, we'd planned on changing everything next week. And coming in this morning, I felt like God just kind of dropped in a whole other idea for next week in the same series. So we're not ending yet. So I have on here mentioned this is the last week. It's not the last week. So come back next week for what God wants to say to us next week. But what, what I want us to see is just how God begins to work in Moses' life. And I, instead of um, hitting like the, the, the specifics of the encounter, I want us to take a look at just how God really put together the whole big picture. I think we have a tendency in Moses' story to miss the big picture because we get so wrapped into the details. At least I do. And I've heard it enough that I just kind of go past it without catching it and without, without realizing it. So I want us to think about our guy, Moses. And you guys, if you've been here, you know the story of Moses, right? How did he start out? Help me out. Come on, help me out. How did he start? We've talked about this. A baby in a basket. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that down if I can get it to write here somewhere. It's all wet now. Sorry. Well, we'll come back to it. Baby in a basket, right? Brooke, it's not working. I always say it's your fault, Brooke, right? Okay. Baby in a basket. So where else, uh, what else happened in his life from that point? We, we know that the, his Hebrew family couldn't keep him, so they put him in a basket, floated him in the river, and what happens? Yeah, Pharaoh's daughter. So the princess comes into the picture, right? And what does she do? She adopts him. She raises him as an Egyptian with all the bells and whistles of the Egyptian culture. And the guy is highly educated um, in, in regards to all the things that the Egyptians would teach their kids. So what happens then next? So somebody, somebody said it. Murder. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What happened? Help me out. He saw an Egyptian being mean to a Hebrew, right? And he just snapped. He lost it, not mean. That's, that's kind of an you know, underestimation. This, this, he, this Egyptian was beating this Hebrew, right? And Moses snapped, and he defended the Hebrew, and what did he do? He... Right, right. Looked to see if anybody was looking. And he killed this guy, and he buried his body in the sand, hoping that no one saw, right? But they did. And so what happens then? He runs away. So he becomes a fugitive. Where? Yeah, in Midian. So he ends up in the middle of nowhere in the backside of the desert. I mean, they, they say it's Midian in the scripture, but most researchers believe it's just Midian-ish. <laughs> just in that area. 
And if you uh, Google map that area, it's like nothing is there. Some of the pictures that we've been showing on the screens um, are really pictures from there. There's just nothing out there. Um, so this was some Bedouin tribe that was out in the middle of nowhere, and he comes into this picture in their family. Things begin to take place. How long was he in Midian? Forty years. Now think about that for a moment. How would you like to be feeling like you've been put on hold for 40 years? Some of you aren't even 40 years old, so you don't even know what 40 years feels like, right? But how would you like to, to be put on hold or on the backside of nowhere for 40 years? Oh, but wait. At the end of that 40-year period, something happens. And this is where we've really got our idea, and that's a hint right back there. Okay? What happens? God interrupts his day with a what? A burning bush, right? Okay? And God begins talking to Moses about what he wants to do in his life. And before anything, though, and this is the, one, the phrase that has got me, before anything happens, God calls out his name. He calls him by name, Moses, and Moses responds with, here am I, right? That's huge. Here I am. Take a look at verse 7 of Exodus 3. The Lord told Moses, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. He could almost say, I am sending you back to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. So God was calling Moses. And in verse 11, we see that Moses protests. Look what he says. Read it with me. Who am I? Instead of here I am, all of a sudden it's changed now. Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? He says it again. Who am I to lead the people out. The, the focus of Moses' words were on who? On himself. He was saying, who am I? I am, I am nobody. I'm a failure. I'm the guy who blew it the first time, and now you're thinking about sending me back? I'm the guy that's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. I don't even know what it's like to be in the, in the area of Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, Egyptian areas. I, I, who am I? To be a leader of people. I've never led people. I've never done anything this big in my life. But God answers him, verse 12, I will be with you. And then he gives him this plan. He says, now go and call together all the elders of Israel. If you don't know, the elders of Israel, Tony mentioned earlier with Paul, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the nation of Israel from early years, from ancient times, has always been elder-driven. 
And so the elders of Israel would have been like the ruling body, okay? And so, so God is saying, I want you to go to the ruling body, the government, if you will, of Israel. Go to them and tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I promise to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders of Israel will accept your message. God is telling Moses this in advance. The elders will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and tell him. But then God continues. He says, but I know that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, he, the Pharaoh, will let you go. Do you see what's happening here? Don't you wish God would do this to you? Don't you wish that God would say, oh, you want the plan? Sure. Here's the blueprint. This is exactly what's going to happen. Step one is this. Step two is this. Step three is this. And then I'll do this. And then boom, boom, boom. And it'll be all done. Are you ready to go? Now, I don't know about you, but at first I would be thinking, yeah, now I know. I, that's, that, to me, that's the biggest struggle for me. Is I, don't, I just don't know what you're doing, God. But God just lays it out. <laughs> but I've always heard it said that if we really knew what God wanted to do in our life in the next 10 years, we might go to heaven quicker. In other words, we might die in shock. Because we really don't know what God has in mind for us. The big picture how, how grand in scale that God wants to use us. So God gives him the whole plan. And what happens? God does what God says. I'm sorry, Moses does what God says. And, and by the way, he brings his brother along. Take a look at this. Moses and Aaron, Exodus 4.29, Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. Now, let's, let's think about that for a minute. What would it take for a group of people to believe that God talked to you? Hmm. Just, something happened here. This was, this was supernatural. This was divine. They believed. They were convinced. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Hmm. Exodus 5, verse 1. After the presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. Come on, say that with me. Let my, come on, you got to give it like a Charlton Heston um, kind of voice, right? I mean, come on. Um, who was the guy that did Prince of Egypt? I forgot the, the name. Was it Val Kilmer, I think? Okay, so give it, give it a Val Kilmer or a Charlton Heston voice. Ready? Here we go. Let my people go, right? Let my people go. <laughs> Do you know who you're talking to? They're talking to Pharaoh, the leader 
of the power of the world at that time. And, and these, are, these are slaves. The Hebrews were slaves that were working for Pharaoh. In fact, many researchers believe these were slaves that were working on pyramids and other things that we know today that exist. You're not going to get rid of your workforce. Hold on. You're not going to get rid of your free workforce, right? Look what he says. Is that so? <laughs> is that sarcastic enough for you? <laughs> is that so? Who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Do you see what happens? It happens exactly like God said it would happen. So put yourself in Moses' shoes. I love this. Moses could have easily said, I knew you were going to say that. Right? Because God had already told him. I knew you were going to respond this way. So I'm just here to tell you, look out, because it's coming. Right? Because he already knew that God was going to move in a big way that his hand, his mighty hand, like God said, was going to force Pharaoh to let his people go. Hmm. So as we pull back and get this big picture, there's one thing I want you to see here. Ready? God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing in my life. He knows what he's doing in your life, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when things seem out of control, when things seem hopeless or impossible, when circumstances feel stacked against us, even when we've blown it, even when we failed, God knows what's going on. God has a plan all along. I like to say that God is good, God is able, and God knows what he's doing. That's a good phrase, isn't it? God is good, God is able, and he knows what he's doing. Hmm. God knows what he wants to do through your life. And that's the part that speaks to me every time I study this story. This, the, the, the whole idea of this series came from a book that I've been really reading since June. And it, and it talks about strengthening your soul. And this writer, this author, she works her way through this part, Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, of Moses' life. And so um, Ruth Haley Barton is actually the, the, the author of this book. And, and um, th this has so pushed into my life, this idea that God knows what he's doing. This is what I want you to get. He knows what he's doing. It's not just a cliche, friends. It's, it's something that, that you and I need to embrace. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Get that down. And don't just write it down. Put it in your heart. Tattoo it to your mind. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. When you step into situations and you don't know why they feel out of control, why things are just going crazy, when you step into those kind of situations and you don't know what to do, there's one thing that we can know. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And I may not have figured it out yet. I don't even know where I'm going next. 
But I believe and I know that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. That he knows what he's doing. The Apostle Paul, this is a scripture that I shared a couple of weeks ago, but I want to share the tail end of it today because the Apostle Paul just so nails this. And I, and I think he saw it in his life. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Just think about that. No one has seen it, no one has heard it, no one has even imagined it. Minds have not conceived all that God wants to do for us. So we don't know. Well, not really. That's not really true. Because Paul finishes it off with verse 10, and I didn't share this last time when I shared this verse, that no eye, no ear, no mind has, you know, imagined these things, what God has prepared for those. And then look what Paul says, but God, it's one of those big buts again in the Bible, but God has revealed those things to us by his spirit. Just like we did on this board a few minutes ago. Where we saw that Joseph went through slavery and prison, but ended up as second in command of Egypt. Why? Because God wanted him to be second in command of Egypt. Hmm. Why, why Paul, the apostle Paul, started out the way he did, but God wanted him to be a communicator of the gospel, specifically through letters that were going to be put in the New Testament. And so, <laughs> so God had him get to a point where he, came to know Christ, planted churches, started writing letters to those churches. Now hang on, because now I'm going to prove what I was talking about before. And so what does God end up doing with the Apostle Paul? It puts him in prison. And what does Paul do in prison? Writes letters. Paul was on the go so much, I think that God says, I need to slow you down so you can write. Because it's your writing that's going to make a difference 2,000 years from now in Bart's life and in Bill's life and in Jason's life, in our lives. Paul touches us today because of God's plan in his life. And it's the Spirit of God, like Paul says, God has revealed those things to us by his Spirit. So this past Friday morning, I was spending my quiet time, my time alone with God. And I've been studying the life of David, actually, since about February. And um, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 7, fascinating chapter. Probably will make a series at some point for us here. But um, in 2 Samuel 7, God tells David, I'm going to bless your family beyond anything you could ever imagine. Your family will become a dynasty of kings that will serve me and my kingdom. Your family will be blessed with incredible blessing. And then what I read in 2 Samuel 18 uh, this week has so moved me. It says King David, when, when he heard this, he went in and he sat before the Lord just so you know, this is the first time ever in the Old Testament that anyone is known as sitting in the presence of God. 
He sat before the Lord, and look what he says. This should sound familiar. Who am I? Sound familiar? That's what Moses said, right? Who am I, sovereign Lord, that you have brought me this far? So, so just like Moses, David says, God, who am I that you would do this in my life? He's blown away by all that God has already done and is going to continue to do in his life. This so speaks to me. I don't know about you, but I, there, there are times when I pause just long enough at the red lights in my life, the green lights in my life, where I look at what God has done. And he's given me an awesome life with an amazing wife, incredible kids, great little dogs. You have no idea. Even this morning, how, even how God has replaced a dog we lost with one that loves us so much. And if you're not a dog person, you don't get it. But it means so much to me to know that God loves me that much that he would do that. A wonderful home allows us to serve here at Pathway Church for over 26 years with a church that sends me to Disneyland. <laughs> and like David, I, I realize I am blessed beyond what I deserve. That's what David says. Look, look what he says. What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like. Do, do you ever feel that way? It, maybe it's just me. There's sometimes when I come into his presence and I'm like, God, why do you bless me? Why, why do you choose to use me? Because I know me. And, and, and I know my shortcomings and my sin and my disobedience and my hesitations and my doubts and my fears and my insecurities. I, I know this about me and I know you know this. Why do you choose to use me? Why do you, why do you choose to bless me? You know I don't deserve this. And then look what David does. And this is what I ended up this week doing. David says, how great you are, O oh Lord. There is no one like you. God is good. God is able. God knows what he's doing. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Would you bow your heads with me?